You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. So let me talk to you about this sermon series and where it came from. I got the opportunity, I guess it was in May, it felt like it was more summertime-ish, but uh, to go to a dissertation at the University of Idaho like I do, because I've been to lots of them, uh, one, uh, in my entire lifetime. And so I went to this dissertation and I was there and I was supporting, because we like love our people, and I was supporting one of our uh, home group uh, leaders, and she was doing her dissertation on uh, shame in higher education. And she had spent about five years studying that and had these folks that she had observed at different universities all over the country. Um, and, and what does it look like, shame in the higher education workplace? I was like, that is super cool study. And as she started presenting, I was like, wow, I got, like, I got, I didn't know that about shame. I didn't know this about shame. And I started thinking about that. And that's where this sermon series was, was born really probably back in May. And then as we started to work through it, we're like, well, it can't just be just shame only. There's like more around it. And so we kind of putting this together and we have, you know, we talked about guilt last week and, and what guilt is. And Marty did a great job on that. And then this week's on shame and next week's on con, uh, conviction. And how do we navigate those things? And how amazing would it be for our church body and you sitting right in your seat to know how to deal with shame in your life. How would that change the kingdom? Because guess what I'm really not very good at when I'm absorbed in my own shame? I'm not very good at seeing anybody else. I'm so inwardly focused on what I think I am or what I, what I did or who I am or all those things, I can't see you very well. And that makes me a fairly ineffective disciple maker. And I was called to be, be a disciple, to go, therefore, go and baptize those, uh, having them follow, follow him, te- everything that he had commanded, right? Matthew 28, all authority in heaven had been given to him, and this is what he wants me to do. And I can't do that very well when I'm sitting and living in shame. And so we see shame entering the story uh, of, the, of the Bible really early, like actually right after the fall. And, um, and so Genesis uh, 3, 7, and 8 says, they, uh, then they bo- the eyes of both of them were opened, this is right after the fall, and they realized they were naked. They're like, whoa, we're naked. And so uh, they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves because something about them, they were like, this doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel right. But apparently it was right before. And then uh, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Why did They hide. They felt shame. They sinned. They made, you know, they they ate from the the tree they weren't supposed to eat from, and they made a mistake, which makes you feel guilty, right? And then you would run to your father and be like, Father in heaven, we made a mistake, Lord. Please forgive us. We made a mistake. We ate from this tree. Would you please forgive me? Because that's what I do every time I sin against God, perfectly, Or, have you ever hidden? Talks about uh, the devil, right? The shame is the devil's playground. And so, as we uh, enter into this uh, series, or this talk today, I wanted to bring out uh, the lady that inspired me to to, to work down this path and and ask some questions. Uh, She doesn't call herself an expert. She calls herself a practitioner of shame, which I do as well. But Katie Schiffelmeyer, come on out, Katie. All right. Thanks for being here, Katie. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here. How y'all doing? Woo! Well, we're excited that you're here to share uh, your heart and, and things that uh, you've 
uncovered as you've researched this, just not, not even just professionally, but also uh, personally. And, and as we're sharing, we see shame entering the story uh, quite early on. So again, uh, Katie is uh, one of our home group uh, facilitators here, her and her fabulous husband, Aaron, who plays bass up here. He was playing bass today. Bass is the correct instrument, right? Yes. Okay. Got it. Um, I'm very musical. Uh, so uh, they uh, uh, and so they lead a home group and been doing that for quite some time. You love your home group. You love your peeps in your home group. They're, those are probably the people that were cheering for you. Okay. Um, and so uh, let's just dive in here. So you've done some little homework on this. What do you when you say what is shame? Like what is shame in your mind? In sure. the definition. Well, shame is a natural emotion. Same as anger, joy, sorrow, sadness, happiness. Uh, it's a human emotion that each of us feels. Uh, but it's definitely not an emotion we like to talk about very often, right? Who likes to talk about shame? Like there's no hands. Uh, it's a difficult conversation to have. And it's not only a difficult conversation to have with other people, it's a difficult conversation to have with ourselves. Uh, we block out that noise really easily, um, distracting ourselves because it's awful to feel shame. Feeling shame feels like you're not enough. It feels like you're too much. It feels like wanting to run away and hide because you made that mistake or you feel a certain way because of what you hear from culture, what you hear from your family, what you hear from your friends, what you hear from your colleagues. And it's an indicator that something is wrong. It indicates that something needs to change, that we need to make a choice. There's a choice to just hide and avoid. There's the choice to run away, to dig that pit, to jump in and hope nobody sees the stuff in our life we don't want them to see. Or it's the choice to move toward God and move toward community. It's a hard choice and it's kind of scary. And you'll make mistakes. For sure. So I, as I was thinking about you know, talk about shame, shame is the devil's playground. He likes you to be in, uh, ashamed and be feeling shame because that isolates you. Usually you don't like, I'm shameful. Let me run into the world and tell everybody how shameful I am. No, you hide. You go away. You, clo- you close off. And when you close off from God's people, from God's word, from worship, from all those things, shame, that's the fertilizer for shame. That's the fertilizer for shame is isolation. And then you can just continue to roll around in shame. And shame, I'm kind of on the fence on this. I was thinking about what Marty said last week about, uh, about just shame, you know, that we should never be in shame. Sometimes I've had to go through a pile of shame to get con- to conviction because the guilt wasn't enough for me. But you should never stay in shame. You should never hang out in the shame portal and live there. Uh, makes you very, uh, probably very ineffective at everything in your life with every relationship that you would ever have. Mm. And so we see it in our culture, right? Our, our, our culture are, uh, can, wants to avoid shame. Um, we, we talk about it a little bit more now. We're like uh, fat shaming and whatever shaming and all these other different things, but it's more about other people placing it upon you, which is horrible. But the worst part about it is when you believe it about yourself. Mm. Because you know, we can sometimes isolate from other people, but when you start believing something about yourself, uh, that changes, changes you inside. It changes who you think God says you are. Yeah. 
So running away. Let's talk about a working definition. Brene Brown, go ahead. I'll let you run through this. Sure. So Brene Brown, she's a researcher and scholar on shame, vulnerability, living wholeheartedly. Uh, And so a lot of what we're talking about today comes from her work. She says shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. So it's believing so darkly that we made so many mistakes or we have this hidden part of us inside of us that it becomes our identity. And we choose to believe that it's not just a mistake, it's I am a mistake. God made a mistake creating me. I shouldn't be a wife. I shouldn't be a mother. I shouldn't be a boss, a supervisor. I shouldn't be part of the church. And so we start believing this lie that we are our mistakes and thus we don't want to be a part of a community. And so that's what shame does. It breeds this um, idea of fear and blame and disconnection to the point where we're not opening up and we're not living life where we can take risks and be vulnerable and offer our giftings and then make a mistake and then have people beside us that can say, hey, that's okay, all right, let's keep going, we can do this, let's talk through this, let's move through it. And I wonder what stories of shame were brought into this room today, this burden that we carry. And so what, what we're excited to share today is that we don't have to be stuck in shame, we don't have to hide from God, we don't have to turn away from him and from community, instead we can connect with others, turn towards God, and navigate shame. We can't be resistant to it and be magical, that'd be amazing, but uh, we can't. Instead, we can grow resilient to it and move through shame. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. And again, just to hit on the difference between shame and guilt, and Mari talked about this last week, but guilt is something that you did. So pick it, whatever it is. Let's say, uh, um, you know, oh, I, somebody committed adultery, right? Well, I'm an adulterer. That's what I am. That's my identity. That's who I am. No, that's what you did. And that was a mistake, but that's not who you are. God tells you who you are. You're a treasured possession. You're a prized creation. He thinks quite highly of you. He just wishes you would think quite highly of yourself as well. And the world wants to uh, blur the lines between guilt and shame and, and have you be that. But again, shame is the devil's playground. He would love for you to stay there and be stuck there. But it's a big part of being a disciple. And when we talk about the definition of a disciple uh, is, you know, come and follow me. So we're trying to follow Jesus. And then when I don't follow him very well, I feel guilty. And then I can feel really shameful if I continue to not follow him well forever and just stay in there and don't let him redeem me. Right? But come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You know where he makes us fishers of men and women? When we, when we crush shame in our lives and in other people's lives. So the difference between shame and guilt is shame is accepting that identity that is not, it's not, it's, that's not what you did, but it's who you are, right? And so where does, we talk about where does shame come from, uh, Morgan, where do you see like the biggest influencers of, of shame now? Sure, so there's three main influencers of shame, and the first one is culture or society, right? It's embedded into our beliefs and our values. You see it in popular culture. You see it in religion, how many of you have experienced or seen shame in the church? Yeah, I see more hands there, right? So 
It's there. Culturally, it has always been there. It continues to be there. Uh, and so we believe this lie, and we, this identity starts creeping inside of us by what we see, what we live in. Uh, and then there's other people, right? Uh, this could be, this is spectrum, so there could be the unintentional shaming, there's the accidental, uh, there's the passed down from our families, from our moms, from our dads, from when we were a kid sitting there and we hear our aunt say something in the kitchen and we just feel this hot shame come over us. It's a terrible feeling. It's unintentional sometimes. In the other end of the spectrum, there's abuse. And it's something that needs to be talked about because there's a lot of shame that hides around abuse. And I'm proud to be in a church that's willing to talk about that and speak to that and to try and move through shame in the midst of it. Um, The third is the self, us. The mistakes that we make, the behavior that we have, choosing not to to turn toward God, but instead choosing to stay where we are. Because shame, it's an opportunity to be honest with ourselves or dishonest. So the mistakes we make what we choose to do to others, to ourselves, to, com- to continue to believe what our identity is in this muck and mire versus what it could be in Christ. So I have, uh, you mentioned Wally and Otis, so I have to tell a quick story about them. Otis is my cat, and uh, Wally is my little poodle, and they're very dear to me, but we have a culture in our family um, where you go the bathroom where you're supposed to go the bathroom. Right? Do you, do you make Aaron do that too? Yes, he's a part of this as well, right? My husband and I, we know the proper place for humans to go. We know the proper place for dogs to go outside and cats in a gross, creepy box. I don't know why we do that. Um, and I came home one day, sat on my couch. I was kind of tired from the work day and one of my animals did not follow our rules, our house rules or our cultural rules And Otis just looked at me, and he was like, what? (laughs) He did not care at all. Uh, I don't think he even felt very guilty. Um, Possibly he felt ashamed, and thus he was just like, going to pretend it didn't happen. Sounds Uh, like a cat. Probably didn't feel any shame at all. Yes, he is a cat, very much so. Uh, And then I turn over to look at my dog, and Wally, who has done nothing wrong is like on his back, shaking, like covering his eyes, and he has taken on that shame of Otis. And he heard me saying like, bad, Otis, bad, you are a bad cat. And Wally starts thinking back to when he made a mistake and realizes he's a bad dog. Right? He is a bad dog. So I'm practicing my language of, of behavior versus identity. That Otis, you did a bad thing, a bad thing, bad behavior, uh, and I'm working on that. But he's not a bad cat. He's not a bad cat. He's not a this bad is good cat. prep work for, kid, for kids someday and stuff. <laughs> Wish I would have known that earlier. Um, one of the things that we got to do is we were going through our sermon prep uh, with our sermon club team. Somebody brought some notes to the table and they're like, hey, I was at this biblical context conference and Brad Gray spoke on honor and shame. And so we got to go through those notes and then we stole some from, stuff from him. But really what we stole from him is what he stole from the Bible, which was a story uh, uh, 
that I have taught a lot. I know a lot about. I feel real comfortable with this story and those things, but I had never looked at this story through this lens. And so we're going to talk about the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. And I want, uh, Katie, you stop me uh, every time you see shame in the story. And then we'll, we'll, we'll break it down. So I'll just start reading it and you stop me when you see it. Okay. Perfect. All right. So we're in Luke 15. Uh, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Stop. (laughs) Immediately we've got shame here, right? In this cultural context, I would say even in our cultural context, if I went up to my dad and said, yeah, I wish you were dead. I'd like your money, please. Uh, That'd that'd be a problem. It would bring a lot of shame onto my father. For sure. And then the father sitting there in shame, somebody like, what kind of kid are you raising that says they wish you were dead? Mm -hmm. I got to question everything about your family. If your kid wants to to have all of his stuff early, well, you don't even know how to raise your own family. And so we see shame entering the story at the very beginning. Not long after that, the younger son uh, got together all he had and set off for a distant country and squandered his wealth in wild living. He had spent everything. There was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed his pigs. Funny for a Jewish kid. Uh, He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, another version said when he um, saw himself or when Mm -hmm. he, is that right? Mm -hmm. When he saw himself, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Stop. So this is when he's starting to notice. He's starting to identify that. Wow, the the mistakes, the behaviors that he has done is affecting his life and the people around him. He's starting to navigate around that idea of shame. Yeah. Remember last week when Marty talked about uh, pre-conventional uh, wisdom, conventional wisdom, and post-conventional wisdom? So where was he on the front side of this? I'm going to have all my stuff. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to go and have this wild living. What kind of wisdom is that? Pre-conventional <laughs> Right? Things are going to be great. I don't need any help. I got it. Just abundance of, 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 of living the way that you want to live because you don't need any counsel. You got it figured out. And now we're coming to conventional wisdom here. You know what? Actually, my father's servants live better than I'm living now. Maybe I made a mistake. Here I am starving to death. See if he makes it to post-conventional wisdom. Uh, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father... I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. Yeah, we could stop here. What word did you notice in that passage? Yeah. He has made these mistakes and it's eating him up. He's truly believing that he made so many mistakes that it's become who he is that he can't even go home to his mom and his dad and his brother and be a part of their family. He's, he's just totally believing that lie. He is not worthy of love and he's not worthy of belonging to anyone. Yeah. So, uh, but while he was uh, still a, a long way off, uh, his father 
His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. I wonder if we have a a father like that that is looking for his children that sees them and when he sees you and he sees that you're ready to not want to live and hang out in shame and you're coming back to him going like Lord I've blown it I've blown it so big I'm not even worthy to be a Christian. I'm not even worthy, but like, I can't live in this life over here. And, and, and your, your, your father comes running to you and he sees you and he comes running to you and you're in your shame and you've got your speech prepared. You're ready to tell him, right? And he's like, God, no. Just, God, thank you. Thank you for coming. Thanks for coming back. Throw my arm, throws his arms around you. I've felt this. I've felt this in my life. I felt this in my story. I was thinking back to some of my stories of shame and uh, giant mistakes that I made in 2005. I had a, uh, I was in the insurance business was 15 years ago. I, I had a pretty nice gambling addiction. I was lying to my wife. You guys, some of you have heard this story, and I was kind of reliving about like where did I live in shame in this, and when did I feel this right here? When did I feel my father? find me and throw his arms around me. And I remember the shame that I was living in. I would be driving back from my insurance appointments and I would hold my white shirt out the window at 60 miles an hour, 50 miles an hour to try and get the smoke off it. You know why? Because I had to hide. I had to hide my shame. And I remember uh, when you think you're going to be good at gambling and they have clay chips and you like can shuffle them, you know, those guys that can do the cool shuffling tricks. Right? Well, you get clay in your fingernails. And guess what an insurance guy shouldn't have? Dirty fingernails. You're not even working. I mean, you are working, but like, so I remember just like, just trying to get the, and I was trying to get the shame and guilt out of my hands. And I needed, I needed this. And when I got this, when this happened to me, when I had a church that helped correct me, because I was a leader in my church. I was a home group leader. I was uh, enemy in three. I was a greeter. I was working. I was somebody in this lobby that has like some big giant issue, but I was hiding it. I was fake. And when I got, and I had to go sit in shame for a little bit because guilt wasn't enough for me. But when I felt ashamed enough and I was broken enough, I went to my pastor and they did this. They corrected me. I had some things to figure out but they threw their arms around me and I was like, if this is what Jesus is, if this is what the church is, I'm in. You got me. Whatever you need. And it, wasn't, it didn't happen overnight. And just because like, it doesn't mean being in ministry or being on, on staff at a church or something is like you've arrived. That's like far from it. But over a five-year process of making it right with my wife and my kids and, and fixing myself uh, internally, like that started to change. That started to change who I was. So I was thinking about my own story of shame, but I love this. Um, and so the son said to him, he had a speech, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy. I'm not good enough. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the 
father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine who was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he is found. How do you find something you're not looking for? The father saw this and had compassion on him. So they began to celebrate. They're like, yeah, and everybody's happy, right? Meanwhile, the older, brother, or older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? He said, your brother has come. He replied, your father has killed a fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The father in heaven wants you safe and sound from the shame that you sit in. The older brother became angry. That's interesting. That's one of the emotions on your, on your will. I wonder if that's how he felt, right? He became angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. We see the father running through shame over and over and over and over again in this story. Do you see that in your own life? He went out and pleaded with him, but, but uh, he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I never disobeyed your orders. I've been doing it all right. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so that I could celebrate my friends. But when this, this son of yours, not this brother of mine, this, this son of yours, stupid, gave him his money, like... Like, do you see the disownership? He doesn't belong. He doesn't belong to us, Dad. They don't belong here. They don't think and act and function the same exact way that we all think and act, so they don't belong here. We only want these kind of people here. Doesn't seem very Jesus-y. But this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes, and he comes home, and you kill a fatted calf for him. My son... The father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again and he was lost and he was found. And then so the older brother says, you know, dad, you're right. And he goes into the party. No, we don't know what it says. He doesn't, it stops. We don't know what happened. Isn't it interesting to view this story differently through the eyes of shame? And isn't it interesting that we have a father through compassion and when he sees he models what it looks like to help bring a prodigal son all of us right son or daughter through shame because he sees you so uh what let's just wrap it up quickly what holds back people from letting go of shame that you see what holds you back what holds what do you observe sure so shame breeds this idea of fear blame, disconnection. So we separate from people. We hide our shame. We hide those shame triggers. Sometimes we're not even aware of what we feel about our shame or we can't even identify what's going on inside of us. So we're fearful of rejection. We're fearful of what other people are going to think about us. Um, And we lose hope that anyone's going to love us through our muck. Uh, And so... Here's where we get to the fun part of how do we actually navigate through shame. Uh, Here's where the hope is. And this story really models it well where the father comes through. He absorbs the shame. He runs right through it. And he replaces it, transforms it with compassion. And so uh, Brene Brown talks about how 
Empathy is the antidote to shame. And part of empathy is courage, takes courage, risking, being vulnerable, sensible, takes connection, and it takes compassion. So I'm just going to walk us through a few things with compassion. Uh, And this is active. This is not easy, this process, but it gives us tools for when we are triggered by shame and we do like, ugh, want to run away and hide, uh, we're able to talk through it with ourselves and with others. So we need to develop these skills to show ourselves self-compassion. And there's three tools to it, noticing, feeling, and responding. We need to notice and be aware of what our shame triggers are. And then we need to be able to critically analyze those shame triggers. So for me, shame lies around my inability to move through feelings in a healthy way. Um, there's a there's a feeling wheel you can Google that has like three layers, and I'm really good at the middle layer of like joy, anger, disgust, sadness. There's like four or five emotions, and what I've been learning recently is that I need to be curious about why all of a sudden I'm angry. Why am I frustrated all of a sudden? And what what that is, is I'm probably feeling a different emotion on a second layer or a third layer. I'm probably feeling um, disconnected from someone, disrespected. I'm feeling disappointed. But where does that come from? It comes from unmet expectations. And where does that come from? It comes from me not communicating those expectations. And the the pride I have surrounding what my expectations might be. And it's so hard and I hate talking about it and I don't really want to talk about it with anyone. But I have to, if I want to move through this in a healthy way. And instead, instead of being critically aware, the shame surrounds when I don't, when I'm not aware of it. And I get angry and I say unkind words and I, you know, I break and hurt relationships with the close ones that I love. That's the worst and I hate it. So noticing being critically aware, I can just sit there and be curious. Why am I feeling this way? What's going on? What is that triggering? Why is it what that person said or what I saw or what I read or what I did? Why is it making me feel that way? And then I need to understand that emotion, understand that feeling so then I can recognize it in other people. And I don't put my shame on them. When they tell me their story, when they are vulnerable with me, I'm not all of a sudden feeling triggered because of what they're saying because I have a healthy understanding of what's going on inside of me. So notice, feel, and then respond is we have to be able to learn how to communicate our understanding to ourselves and to others, to journey beside them without judgment, but with, but with this kindness and compassion and empathy that together we're going to move toward God, together we're going to move through the mess, we're going to lean in to the challenge and the difficulty. We cannot do that alone. So if you are not in a home group, and you're not in an accountability group or whatever term you want to use, you're not meeting with someone regularly to walk through life, please do it. It's so rewarding. It is difficult, but it is so rewarding because you're going to learn more about who God wants you to be, about what your identity is in him and where he can use your giftings, the strengths that you bring, the talents that he's put inside of you. Oh, if this whole room of people, this whole church learned how to practice compassion and empathy and move through those shame triggers, 
this city would be changed. It would be incredible. Want to do it? Yeah. Well, as we finish out here, just some of the things that, that uh, Katie and I discussed that we wanted uh, thoughts for you guys to leave with is having some actual tools to navigate shame. But number one is we see that, that worthiness thing. So to know that we are all worthy of love and belonging. And this should be a place where you are worthy of love and belonging, where you feel that you can connect. Uh, we are not the pretentious, perfect, got it going right church, or at least you didn't hire the right pastor for that. Uh, we, we, you know, we're all working. I am in the process of being made as you are, right? I will make you. He say, he didn't say, I, 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 you're done, you're a finished product. He said, I will make you. So as you are going, he's making you and he's making me and he's making all of us. So we're all worthy of love and belonging. Practice steps of compassion towards others to see others. But even in order to do that, you have to learn how to have compassion for yourself because compassion is the antidote to shame. And we see that in the story of the prodigal son. Right? And then this last one was a quote from Timothy Keller. Go ahead, I'll let you read that one. Uh, not quote, a paraphrase. Yeah, paraphrase. Shame is an example of how we are more broken than we realize, but more love than we can ever imagine. God loves us. He wants to see us live into what he created us to be. To be set free of shame, to be set free of fear and disconnection. In this room today, today, is where you can start that. Maybe you've already started that. Katie, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. We're going to take this time to enter into a communion. If you're serving communion today, thank you very much for doing that. Uh, We have an open table. Everybody can take it. If you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, we're going to hold on to it till the very end. We'll take it together. A little bit different today. Um, I have a couple questions that uh, you can sit on, but we're going to uh, have a song just to, uh, that's going to go on while we're holding that, and I'll come back out, and we'll take it together. But uh, as you get together in your home groups or sit around the table uh, tonight celebrating the Seahawks victory um, and all of those other things, uh, you know, I want you guys to be able to have a place to process this and talk about this. So just a couple questions that I wanted to throw out uh, for you to, to, to think about. Uh, what are your shame triggers? What triggers you back to a place of shame? And knowing those to be really important because that's when, when you need to figure out what does self-compassion look like. That's when you need to reach out to your me and three, to your home group, to people around you that you have allowed to speak into your life and say like, hey, Josh, I noticed something's different about you. This, what's going on? I have guys in my life that can look at me like, hey, like, are you okay? And, and I could lie to them even this last week. Uh, for like, hey, how you doing, Josh? You doing okay? I'm like, mm. do you really want to know? Like, I'm really not doing okay right now. I got to work on some stuff about, you know, that I'm frustrated with me about some things I've been telling myself who I am. So what are your shame triggers and what would it take uh, for you to break free from shame? We've given you some tools, you know, to notice, to respond, to let somebody into your life. But what would it take for you to break free from shame? And so uh, as we uh, enter this time of communion, these guys are going to sing a song. Let me pray over us. Lord, uh, just open our hearts right now. I want you to reveal to us, Father God. I ask that you just reveal to us stuff in our hearts where we're messed up, things we're holding on to that are keeping us from being uh, whole. And Lord, just identify those and then help us uh, to have the right view of compassion, to have the the right view of of self-compassion so we can, can start seeing others because we know that you've seen us and we know that you ran to us.
and you've thrown your arms around us and that you've put us and clothed us with the robes of righteousness and you put that ring on our finger to say that, that, that we are yours. We are your children. So Father God, help us uh, as we reflect on this time. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.